Well, I think the, the uh, sentiment today is good morning. It really is truly good to see you all here today. Uh, some of you haven't seen for a while, so welcome and, and uh, thanks for coming out to church this morning with us. Uh, this, this past week, I was here two weeks ago, and I was trying to think of what would be the next message. Um, we were talked about last time about waiting on the Lord, and uh, the, the thought of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, kind of dropped into my mind, and I'm like, well, that would be interesting to find all about the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. It was spoken so often in the uh, Gospels. And then as I start working on it, I'm like, oh, I better read all four Gospels again and try to find all the references to the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven to kind of piece it all together for us today. So that's what I've been busy doing here in the last uh, week and a half. Uh, so but before we begin, let us uh, open in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word today, to learn about you and your kingdom. We strive to be citizens of the kingdom of God. Lead us and guide us in your marvelous grace so that we may be called sons and daughters of God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer starts out with, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallow it be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Where the word spoken from Jesus' lips as he's training his disciples on how to pray. Thy kingdom come. It was pretty important to Jesus. So then, you know, I think about the term kingdom, and it, it conjures up fanciful images of kings and queens and knights and royal court and jousting and all those fun images that we see on some of the TV shows about the Middle Ages and, and, and the, the age of kingdoms. Jesus was the first individual to set up the kingdom, as stated in Psalms. Psalms 103.19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Sometimes, you know, things that we think are man-made, we don't realize that how much is truly God-made, and we're just imitating him from the early ages of, of man. Daniel prophesied that God will set up a final supernatural kingdom that will crush all the earthly kingdoms, and his new kingdom uh, will reign forever. In Daniel 2.40, it states, And in the days of the kings, of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the king shall not be left to other people. Kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Thank you, Lord. We see in the New Testament Gospels the concept of the kingdom of heaven was first introduced by John the Baptist. He came as a forerunner, uh, it was, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, to Jesus. In Matthew 3, 1, it states, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As John's ministry was pointing to the Messiah, Jesus picked up that mantle and started to preach the kingdom of God. Mark 1, 14, Now after John was in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The phrase kingdom of God occurs 68 times 
in, uh, in 10 different New Testament books. So that, the, the whole concept there is pretty significant. While the kingdom of heaven, you also might have heard that as well, only occurs 32 times and only in the book of Matthew. Jesus uses those terms interchangeably, though, in some of the verses. I found in Matthew 19, 23, and 24, it states, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a little side note I learned at one point from another preacher uh, that the, the, the eye of a needle is actually not the eye of a needle. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty small. You know, you're knitting needles. It's, it's, it's the, a small, the smaller gateway in the sides of the walls that surrounded the cities. So trying to get a camel through a five-foot door, you know, and they're trying to get them to, you know, pull them down to get their heads through the door. That's what Jesus was referring to. Um, to understand, though, the term heaven uh, is used in some instances and why the term God is used in other instances is to, when referring to the kingdom, is, is to understand the audience in which the author of that gospel was writing to. Um, the, uh, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience or Jewish community. And the reason he used uh, the kingdom of heaven more often than the kingdom of God in Matthew is because the, the, the word God, the name for God, was so holy to the Jewish people that they didn't want anyone to speak it out loud. So Matthew was respecting and honoring the Jewish community at that point and, and spoke about the kingdom of heaven. Whereas a Mark was directed towards the Romans over in Rome, and Luke was speaking to the Greeks. Luke was Greek, and he was speaking to the Greeks. So saying the name of God was just fine in that situation. And John was speaking to everyone, so he just used the term kingdom of God. It's safe to say, though, that the term kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are one and the same, and, and you can use them interchangeably. So that begs the first question is, who belongs to the kingdom of God? Right? Well, we would think it would be Christians, correct? And I, I would even take it a step further than that. I would probably say a disciple of Christ uh, is a citizen of the kingdom of God. You know, nowadays the term Christian is used so, frag you know, uh, used so often type situation where maybe somebody that is associated with the church and, you know, comes to Easter Sunday morning and then spends the other 51 weeks doing their own life and their own thing, you know, that, that, the term Christian there could be, uh, you know, questioned by the Lord a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I would say somebody that has truly given their life over to Christ is, um, is a member or belongs to the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household, of the, of the household of God. Since this kingdom is not set up on earth yet, our citizenship is now reserved for heaven. In 1 Peter 1.4, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved for, for in heaven for you. This means that Christians are to be separate from the world, separate from the social, political, economic, and religious affiliations. In 2 Corinthians, it says, 
6.14, it says, Do not be equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Therefore, come out from amongst them and separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now, you know, you might think when you hear that verse, it's like, hmm, aren't we supposed to be amongst the people and proclaiming Jesus? So there is a, uh, there is a balance there. Um, you know, we, we do not want partic- to participate in the sins of the world, but we do, wanna, what we do live in this world, and we also need to be the light of Christ in this world. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If at all possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. We are not citizens of the world. We are the citizens of the kingdom of God. Isn't that exciting? Citizens of the kingdom of God. Um, we're just mere travelers, if you think about it, through this world on our pilgrimage to the, our destination in the kingdom of heaven. If you think about that, all the trials and hardships in life, we're just pilgrims trying to get to our eternal home. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? So that's, uh, that's one that probably everybody would want to know the answers to. And again, I just kind of, this is not a comprehensive or exhausted list. I just pulled out about the five or six main points that I saw Jesus talking about a lot with the kingdom. And the first one King, uh, Christ reminds us is to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. From Matthew 4, 17, from the time Jesus began to preach, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Many understand the term repentance to mean turning away from sin. But it's even more pronounced than that. Uh, the term, this, there are scriptures that mean or infer that repentance to mean to change one's mind. Um, an actual turning away from our sins and the sins of the world. And it, to, the, to, to that same point, um, Repentance also leads us to be into a closer image of Christ so that we can be one with Christ and one with the Father. So um, it really, repentance leads to a changed life. And that's really what we all want, right? We want to lose that old man and, and take on the image of, of Christ. So repenting is the first one. The second one is to be poor in spirit. Now, you might have heard that before, poor in spirit. I know how to be poor in my wallet, but I'm not sure how to be poor in spirit. But at Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt before God. It's understanding that we have absolutely nothing worthy to offer God. You know, I think there's some verses in the Bible that talk about filthy rags. Even our best is short of God's glory. Being a poor of the Spirit is admitting that, that because of our sin, we are completely destituted spiritually, and that, and that we can do nothing to deliver ourselves from this sin. Jesus is saying that no matter your status in life, you must recognize your spiritual poverty before you beco- can come to God in faith and receive the salvation that he offers. So repentance is how do we enter the kingdom of God and being poor in spirit. And the other one, next one here, is doers of God's word. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
So that's interesting. You know, so these people are, are, are acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And ne- doesn't, that doesn't necessarily give you the keys to the kingdom. We need to study and understand Christ's teachings and put them into practice in our daily lives. Jesus continues, uh, goes on and continues to say in Matthew 7, 21, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. So you can't be part of the kingdom unless you fully understand and embrace God and Christ's teachings. So that should be a a calling for us all is to try to uh, dig into the Lord's word each and every day and and, uh, learn more about him. Try to understand what you're a part of in the kingdom. And another attribute of, of uh, how we know we're, uh, we entered the kingdom is being dependent upon God. Matthew 19.24, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And again, I say this first, again, because it, a rich person tends to put their trust in their wealth and not in God, Right? When you're, I, I remember times where, where Lori and I were a little more destituted and, you know, it was trying to live paycheck to paycheck or, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to get that money for that auto accident or whatever the case may be. And you find yourself on your knees a little bit more. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us is that, um, you know, if you have all the wealth that you need to take care of all those annoyances in life, uh, you might not find yourself in communion as, with God as, as often. Uh, the next one here is how do we enter into the kingdom is having faith and trust in God. God loves that. He loves uh, you know, when we show trust to him. Mark 10, 15 says, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a little child will by no means enter it. You know, as I was hearing the young one uh, giggling today and talking and stuff like that, it, um, you know, Jesus says, bring on, hearken on all the children unto me. Uh, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus wants us to possess that childlike faith that is pure and unassuming and humble. This straightforward type of faith allows us to receive God's gift of salvation. It allows us to believe unswervingly that God is who he says he is, and like children who rely on their parents for their daily needs. We should humbly depend on our Heavenly Father for provision in both spiritual realm and the physical realm. In the last few, how do we enter into the kingdom? Well, I think this one's pretty obvious for anyone that's been at church for a while. It's believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Who belongs to the kingdom? those individuals that truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, which we all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So we accept Jesus, we repent, we are uh, poor in spirit, we're doers of God's word, we're being dependent upon God, we have faith and trust in God, we totally believe in Jesus Christ, uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can't forget being born again in the Holy Spirit. 
John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now there's a lot of different uh, dialogues on what does he mean by born of water and spirit. And sometimes we might think of the water as the baptism, right? We all believe that is, that's one of the sacraments in uh, the AG faith, in Christian faith. But I think here, uh, the water mentioned in this verse is not the literal water, but rather the living water that Jesus spoke about it to the woman at the well. John 4.10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This, it is inward purification and the renewal produced by the Holy Spirit that brings forth spiritual life to a dead sinner. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reinforces this truth when he re uh, re reiterates or restates that one must be born again and that the newness of life can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. So as, as members of the kingdom of God, we want to we press into the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and walk in that spirit that will cleanse and purify us from all unrighteousness. John 3, 7 says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sounds of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit So the last part of this is, what, what is the kingdom of God? So we're like, we have all these things of what, what we need to do or how we need to be in order to enter into the kingdom. But what is the kingdom? Well, the first thing I think we need to look at is Jesus, because he's the one that preached the kingdom. Every time, not every time, but often when Jesus walked up to people, he, he would proclaim, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And if you look at that in, in all those contexts, you realize that the kingdom of God is Jesus. And, uh, you know, you have to have a king to have a kingdom, right? So Jesus is the king in this kingdom of God. The other thing is, what is the kingdom of God? It will be people from every tribe and tongue that accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, that's really amazing if you think about it. You know, every tribe and tongue on, on the face of this earth uh, every race, every color, every language will all be in concert in, in, in uh, heaven. And all our brothers and sisters from around the world will be there with us. Matthew eight eleven, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Christians from all over the world, both past and present, will, be, uh, will live in the kingdom of heaven. Revelations 5.9 gives us a little glimpse. And they, say, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us by God, by your blood, out from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What is the kingdom of God? Well, we know it's Jesus. We know it's people from all over the world that accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But what is the kingdom? It's freedom from bondage of Satan and this world that we can have now. 
We do not need to be bondage any longer. Revelations 12.10, Then I hear the voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Our world has been heavily influenced by Lucifer and his fallen angels. The king of God has set us free from that bondage and has restored relationship with God, our Father in heaven. And the last view here is what is the kingdom of God? What it does is it brings righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating nor drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I, I marvel at some of my older brothers and sisters, or even sometimes younger brothers and sisters that have figured this out, that they can have that peace and joy in life, even amongst all the tribulation and craziness in their life. And that's because they understand this that we, we, are, we are already victorious. No matter what happens in this life, it's just, you know, it's just little annoyances and, and interruptions. But you can still have peace in amongst all that. I think the promises are for this life, but also, too, for the next. If you take that next step further in Revelations 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there should be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, there shall be no more pain, and the former things will have passed away. Can you imagine that? No more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, no more crying. That's what the kingdom of God will be for us for all eternity. And the last one here is, what is the kingdom of God? It started from humble beginnings, and it will be the greatest thing ever. Mark 4.30 and he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or what, with what parable should we picture it? It is a mustard seed, which when we sow to the ground, it is smaller than all other seeds. So the mustard seed, they say, is the smallest seed in the world. But when it is sown, it becomes something greater than all, all the other herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. In this parable, Jesus predicts the amazing growth of the kingdom of heaven. The mustard seed is quite small, but, will, but grows into a large shrub up to 10 feet high. And Jesus says, this is a picture of the kingdom growth. The point of the parable of the mustard seed is that something big and blessed, the kingdom of God, had humble beginnings. He was a man of no... Um, how significant could a short ministry of Christ be, if you think about it. He was only on earth for three years. He had a handful of followers. He was a man of no ranks, with no means, and he lived in what everyone considered the backwater regions of the world. Over the course of 6,000 years, we're approaching that 7,000 years for the millennial reign, at least a billion plus people will find their way back to God through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God started with Jesus and end with a vast kingdom of souls that are one with Christ. It's a pretty amazing thing with the kingdom of God. We have all the other illustrations too in Revelations talking about the crystal sea and the streets of gold and the new dimensions of the new Jerusalem, which is humongous. 
and all those things that are wait for us in the kingdom as well, physically await for us. But in conclusion, I believe that Christ created this world to populate his kingdom with souls that love him and want to be in communion with him and God the Father. He's allowing us to, uh, to go through the tribulations of this world to test every human soul here on earth, on this planet. Taking Jesus' Fishers, um, Fishers, Fishers of Men analogy, uh, this world is a vast ocean, and he's fishing for those very souls who will compromise and consist in the kingdom of God. Those that, that uh, you know, you know, enter into the kingdom, as we stated earlier. Jesus says many times when, uh, when, people, when he approached people that the kingdom of God is near, as I mentioned before. Christ's birth, death, and finally his resurrection established the kingdom for all humanity. In its humble beginnings in a manger in the backwaters of Israel will become the greatest accomplishment in all of creation's history. The kingdom is for you and for me. It is for us, brothers and sisters, and it's closer than we know. Let us reach out and grab it and, win, and take the prize that awaits us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for allowing him to bring the kingdom of God to this earth and offering us a way to redemption and in in citizenship in the kingdom. We long for his presence with us, and we look forward to the day that we can be with him and worship him in fullness and in truth. To God be the glory forever. Amen. And I leave you with this verse in uh, Revelations, it, a, a little bit of a piece of the glory of the new Jerusalem. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings, and, and the kings of the earth bring glory and honor to it. Yes. Well, fellow, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, enjoy this Christmas season as we prepare for the celebration of uh, of our King to enter into this world. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season and realize that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God as if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I hope that some of those verses today will help you remember what that means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and to live in its peace and its joy and uh, in Christ's glory forevermore.